You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast with Jamie and Jason. This is episode 189, and today Jamie and I are going to be talking about the devil. First, who, who is the devil and what is his work? What, what, in other words, what does the devil do in the life of the believer? And we can even talk about maybe the unbeliever as well, but in what way is he our adversary, as the Bible calls him? Um, what can he do? That's, a, that's something we should talk about, I think, because obviously we don't want to give a skewed picture and a skewed understanding of the devil a lot of people, Jamie, I know, kind of have this idea in their heads of kind of like this dualistic reality where there's God versus Satan and, you know, evil versus good and and, and they're battling it out. And, and we're just we're 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 obviously confident that God will win. But there's a sense in which we think of the devil as like the equal opposite of God. And I want to say from the beginning that that is totally and completely inaccurate. The devil, if he has an equal opposite, we could probably compare him to Michael the archangel um, because Michael is created, is an angelic spiritual or spirit being, I should say, who, who is powerful. There's, there's good reason to think from the Bible that Michael is powerful and has uh, quite a bit of influence, but, but Satan uh, is, is, is limited and he's under God's sovereignty. We see a lot of this um, throughout the Bible. We see indications that the devil is limited. But if we just think about the creator-creature distinction from the beginning, God alone is the creator. He alone is sovereign over all. He alone holds the universe and all of reality in the palm of his hand. And nothing can thwart his sovereign purposes. Like that is biblical truth we need to start with, that, that God is never nervous about the devil. God is never overwhelmed by the devil's work. God never is anxious that the devil is tempting us. He is concerned, certainly, because he, he, he sends his own spirit and his, his, his own angels to, to work against uh, the devil's work. But at the same time, we don't want to misunderstand the picture. And uh, that was that was a common I think that was a common view, especially in the early church when they had this more dualistic understanding of reality. Uh, but it's still it's still, I think, is somewhat popular today. So the devil and Jamie, I'll let you uh, follow up on this, but it's it's good to talk about the origins of things. So God originally created angels as good because God only creates that which is good. Everything in the beginning was good. It was all very good. And while we're not given a, a chronology of when Satan and his cronies fell from heaven, it, the important thing to understand is that God created, we might call him Lucifer. I think that's a, that's a fair uh, light bearer is what that word means. Uh, we get that from scripture. He created Lucifer as a good angel from the beginning. And we have passages like Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 that speak of the fall of 
Lucifer and even Jesus. Uh, I, 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 for one, would interpret Jesus's statement about him seeing Satan fall from heaven like lightning as uh, another description of Satan's fall. Um, and what we can gather from Scripture based on Isaiah 14 in particular is that the devil was proud. That's what ultimately brought down Lucifer and, and, and made him what he is. It says in Isaiah 14, How you are fallen from heaven, verse 12, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? And in Ezekiel 28, we could read that. But basically, that talks about the, the, the fact that Lucifer originally had, had a role in heaven that was important. Um, so God, God, again, had a, a good design and a good purpose, and he fell. He rebelled against God, and that's what we're left with. And we get more of this picture from the book of Revelation, if you're interested in looking at that as well. But that's good to see that God did not create the devil as the devil. God created Lucifer who fell and became the devil. And now he is, because he wanted to be God, he wanted to take the place of God, essentially. His MO now is he wants to do everything he can to derail the work of God's kingdom and the recognition of God's rule and reign in the world today. And so he is, he is out to uh, to to uh, devalue God's glory in every way he can, and he is clever. That's we see that in the Bible too. That the devil is clever, so we don't want to underestimate. Just like we don't want to overestimate his power, he's limited, but he is clever and he does have power. And I think that's just as a baseline starting presentation of what we're going to say about the devil. He is a fallen angel, but he is a creature. Uh, but Jamie, I'll let you. Pick it up from there. Yeah, I think I think that's a great. It's nice to have a little bit of background of of where Satan came from. What's what's the deal with that? Was he created by God? Those are great. I mean, it's great to start there because yes, those are common questions, right? We hear those all the time. Uh, you also see a little bit of this in Revelation chapter twelve, where we believe this is kind of the explanation of what it is that that. Uh, those texts that Jason read is speaking of uh, this this war that broke out in heaven. This is a past tense reality. Even in Revelation 12, it's clear that this was something that already has happened. So like Jason said, we don't know when it's happened, but clearly it's happened. And um, and I think, it, you know, that background is helpful. But I would also build on it. Yeah, to say that we really have two objectives in this. The, the first one being to recognize that the devil's real and that the demonic is real. Um, I believe, I think Jason does as well, that demons are the fallen angels, those that rebelled against God with Satan. Uh, Revelations uh, 12 says that 
a third, a third of the angels joined um, joined Satan in this rebellion against God. And so we believe, while we don't know what the number is, uh, it's a pretty substantial number, right? There, there was quite, uh, quite a bit of angels that rebelled with Satan, and that's what makes up the demonic world. And I think it's important for us to, first of all, recognize that there is one, right? Because so often we think of everything just being about the flesh or the, the tangible world, you know, that we physically see and experience in that sense. And yet the Bible is very clear that there's a spiritual war going on. I mean, you think of a great example, right? The armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the darkness, against the spiritual forces and wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, right? And then at the end of the text, uh, we're encouraged, we, in verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all time in the Spirit, uh, and, you know, encouraging to battle uh, that way. And so we need to recognize, yes, the spiritual world is real. Satan is real. Uh, the demonic is real. That does exist. And at the same time, um, I think it's important, Jason, you pointed to, that is not a limitless power. That the Satan and the whole demonic world has not actually violated the sovereign will of God. I think that's really important for us to understand because while we take it seriously and while we engage it and definitely pray against it, um, we don't do so in fear. You know, Jason, one of the common things you see, especially in cultures that are historically very strong on like spirits and you know, those kinds of things, they end up coming to Christ, and yet they, they have incre incredible fear because they've, in a sense, mentally overvalued uh, the, the demonic world, right? They've overvalued demons and spirits and, and all these things, and we don't want to go to that point. In fact, I mean, I've, I've met people many times, even Christians, that, you know, they're afraid of everything. They're afraid of anything demonic. They're afraid of uh, ghosts. They're afraid of any paranormal, right? That's the word we so often use, paranormal, just things we cannot explain, right? Things that don't follow normal patterns of behavior. Um, and they're terrified. And our goal here is to say, Yes, we take this very seriously, but we don't take it very seriously because we do so in fear, right? That, that we're afraid that maybe the Lord doesn't have us or maybe the Lord is not powerful enough to protect us or defend us or to hold us. Um, and, and so there is a space, a healthy space, I think, Jason, for the man or woman who is in the Lord Jesus, where we stand in the center. We, we take seriously the spiritual world and we battle it, right, recognizing that it is not without force, it is not without effect, right, that, that um, Satan and the demons can do a lot of things. They, they have the power. Uh, for example, um, Satan encourages us to sin. Uh, we see this even in the life of Jesus. Think of Matthew chapter 4, where 
Jesus is directly tempted by the devil, right? Who shows up to, to encourage Jesus to sin is the devil. And it's not that he's forcing us to sin. It's not that he has the power to do that, but certainly can encourage it, you know? And so I don't always think every time are every one of our sinful thoughts or desires or temptations, are they always just from our flesh? I don't think that's true, right? I think the devil literally does and uh, demons do encourage us to sin, you know? Um, I also think that they can, um, Satan and demons can fight against our spiritual growth and they can stir up heresy, right? They, they're trying to distract us. They're trying to get us away from God's word. You know, 1 Peter 5, 8 is an example of that. Um, John 8, 44 is an example of that. Um, and you, you definitely see that going on. Um, and the Apostle Paul says, hey, don't don't even be surprised in, in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, he says, you know, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So is it any surprise uh, that his demons would do that as well. They're, they're trying to trick you, right? They're trying to speak against the word of God. They're trying to distract you from what the truth is. Uh, and that's earlier in the chapter, Paul was already telling the church, hey, don't listen to anybody who comes preaching a different gospel or having a different Jesus, right? Presenting something new, something different. Um, same thing in Galatians chapter one, right? Paul's like, I'm, I'm amazed at how quickly you're turning away from the the truth, uh, not that there is another truth, right? But there are these demons that encourage, uh, they will try to encourage a different gospel or a different Jesus or a different message, right? Um, and so that that's certainly, you know, going on. Um, obviously, I, I believe that demons cannot possess believers. They cannot possess those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but they certainly can unbelievers, and you definitely see, you know, the reality of that going on uh, in, in our world and um, in people around us, and um, you know, and so um, they uh, they can in, encourage um, that they, they can encourage us in the suppression of the Holy Spirit as well, because that's what sin ultimately does, right? Sin separates us or suppresses the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, the Bible's clear about this. Even the words of Jesus makes this clear uh, that our sin can very profoundly affect. Um, in fact, I think, Jason, you mentioned this last week, how, you know, we can have the Holy Spirit, uh, but we can miss out on, on, on the fullness of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit because we're choosing uh, to walk in sin or we're choosing to neglect um, the, the Lord by our actions, uh, by our sinful deeds, behaviors, attitudes. And, and I think, um, that the, the devil and the demonic world, uh, seeks to do that and, and encourage that. In fact, um, in, in C.S. Lewis's fictional book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, which is a story of a senior demon talking to a, uh, junior demon, um, one of the things he points out in there is, hey, we don't have to we don't have to get people even to sin. All we have to do is get them to focus not on the enemy who in, in the book, the enemy is God. Right. Because they're speaking from a demon's perspective. And 
And so recognizing, hey, if we can get them to sin, great. Or if we can just get them off of the Lord on even good, wholesome things, quote unquote, right? Things or encourage things to become God in, in replace of God, right? Idolatry. Um, and so they're not without force and effect, right? There, there is a lot that they do in this world. Uh, and in fact, um, Satan is described in scripture as the influencer of the age, the, the prince of the world, right? John 12, 31, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 2, 2. Uh, that's not without consequence, meaning he has a lot of influence in this world. He has a lot of influence around us. And I think he encourages us uh, to sin all the time. Yeah, and I think, absolutely, and I, I think it's it's good, as you pointed out, to see that, you know, Jesus called him the father of lies, and and so much of what the devil, his main weapons, primarily, I would say, are deception and confusion. So he, he will he will take God's truth, and, and just like every good lie, there's there's bits of truth in it, but he will distort it. That's why you, you know, it's not so much that Paul warns, you know, beware of these people who tell you to follow Satan and worship Satan. No, he says, beware of those who 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 want to divert your your attention and devotion to the true Christ, to a false Christ and to uh, another another gospel, a different gospel. And and the, the devil, he deceived Eve at the beginning you know, that's the first time we see the devil in action. He deceives Eve by saying, hey, this is going to be your way to autonomy. This is your going to be the, the path to full enlightenment, for lack of a better term. Uh, but Paul says, and he's speaking to believers here, so pay attention to what he says. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, 2 Corinthians 11, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So it's the picture of, I want you to be fully devoted to him. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So if he is operating in deception and, and that is his main weapon, what do we what do we do in response? How can we, what is one way, one particular way we can combat the devil's work? Well, that is to proclaim the truth and, and most importantly, the truth of the gospel. I love this in second Timothy two, Paul is, is encouraging Timothy who, who apparently is, is a bit of a timid pastor. Who's maybe not sure how to handle uh, quarrelsome people at times. And this is his counsel. He says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And this is key. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So just by proclaiming the truth, and by the way, this is, if if you ask, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with this? Keep in mind, in the book of Acts, Jesus told his apostles, don't go preaching. Wait, wait until the Holy Spirit has come. Wait for that power from on high. And then by his power, you will be able to proclaim the truth. 
That's why there's that waiting period of, it's actually a total of 50 days from his resurrection to that first sermon in Acts 2 and, and on Pentecost, because there they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And and you see in, in those very words of Peter, what does he do? He's He's teaching them. He's he's correcting them. He says, you crucified Jesus. God raised him to life. And what happens? Then he calls them to repent and believe. That's God granting them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. They're set free from the devil's captivity. We also see that the devil will have many, many, many weapons at his disposal. He will, he will try to hinder the the work of gospel ministry any way he can. So if it's if it's deception, if it's if it's um, in some in some sense blinding us, which there is a spiritual blindness talked about in Second Corinthians four four, um, or if it's just discouragement, like when you try to do something for the Lord and it feels like oh man, every time I am working at this, it my plans seem to go awry. Well. Look at the Apostle Paul. He he can relate to you if that's your story. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2, um, and with great desire to see, your fa- to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, he's trying to go to them. He's trying to minister to them. But then he says, but Satan hindered us. You know, it's, it's interesting. All these ways that the devil works, his his it's not as though he has this new strategy from the beginning. It has been take your eyes off of God. Um, It's, it's, it's an effort to cloud our view of the greatness and the goodness of God. And, and to think of God as, as in the way of what we want to be and do. And it's interesting that even when the devil tempts Jesus you notice those temptations have to do with the father's relationship to the son. That's why he says, if you are the son of God, what? Well, why would you be starving out here? You should turn these stones into bread, right? That, and, and then it's, you know, if, if you are the son of God, well, you should already have all these kingdoms at your disposal. I'll give them to you. You know, it, it's, it's, again, that is the devil's, mode of operation. He wants to distort our view of God, make us think less of God, and to blind us so that we will turn from God to sin. And again, the gospel is the answer. When we proclaim the truth of the gospel, we are doing spiritual warfare. Uh, that same passage, Jamie in Ephesians 6, I love how it it, it kind of crescendos into gospel preaching. That's, you know, you wonder what is the armor of God all about? Well, yeah, it's to to stand firm and to oppose the devil. But then he says, after um, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the, the word of God, praying at all times. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. And so it's, again, it's about the devil wants to silence Christians from proclaiming truth. And he wants to blind the unbelieving world 
keep them in blindness, in fact, uh, from seeing the glory of God and to see the greatness of God. And so that is all in an effort to, again, strike out at God because it is God who he hates. Yeah, it's so true and so powerful, Jason. You just look at how Scripture deals with this. I mean, from cover to cover, you've covered a bunch, and yet there's like literally thousands more that argue the same point, right? You want to, if you want to uh, battle sin and temptation and the devil, um, you got to be closely connected to the Lord. You got to be knit to the Lord, right? James chapter four, same, uh, same exact thing, you know, specifically asking that question, right? How can, how can you resist the devil? It says in verse seven, submit therefore to God. How do you resist the devil? You submit to God, right? And if you're not sure that that's actually his point, then he goes on, you know, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Like how many, you're like reading it, Jason. You're like, how many different ways can you say, like draw to the, you know, draw near to the Lord, come to the Lord, focus on the Lord, right? Seek the Lord. It's like, uh, you know, constantly. And I think another example, you know, same sort of thing would be uh, Psalms 19. You know, how blessed are those who, whose way is blameless, who walks in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all of their heart, right? And on and on he goes. Uh, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently, right? Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping in accordance to your word. With all of my heart, I have sought you do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes, right? Like on and on and on it goes, all arguing exactly the same point. If, if I am not close to the Lord, then I cannot battle the devil. I cannot battle sin. I cannot battle the flesh, right? If I'm off doing things in my own strength, in my own might, in my own power, I'm going to be in real trouble because I'm not doing what, what God calls me to do. Recognizing I don't have the power to battle Satan. I don't. And you don't have the power to battle Satan. And in fact, even uh, Michael, who's the archangel, I, I don't know what arch, you know, we don't theologically know what arch, archangel means. Um, it's apparently important, right? It's a, it's a, it seems to be a authority status. Like maybe he's the one who took over the role Satan played, right? That, that uh, God designed Satan for. And um, so I've always thought of it in terms of like, he's, he's the general <laughs> of the angelic armies, right? Um, in my head, maybe this is uh, 
conjecture that I shouldn't really go down. But in my head, I imagine like Michael as this like super studly dude, you know, super muscled up and he's wearing armor. It's all banged up and bloody, right? He's been out battling for the Lord and like whatever. And then you see Gabriel, the other angel, who's in a like pristine, like clean robe, and you know, because he just delivers messages uh, from the Lord. But that's not an accurate picture, right? Because everybody who sees Gabriel is terrified. I don't, I don't think that would quite instill terror that picture. But anyway, uh, why was I going down that road? You ask. There was actually a point, um, sort of, <laughs> in the book of Jude. Uh, we're given a glimpse into a, a battle that's going on between Michael and the devil. And what's interesting is, you know, here's, here's a guy created by the Lord uh, and is the archangel, right? He has some great power. He's, he's got some authority. But you notice in verse 9, it says, But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a judgment, but instead rebuked him by saying, The Lord rebuke you. So you notice that I, I think this is a pretty profound moment. Now, of course, this uh, it's taken from a text called The Assumption of Moses that, that um, Jude is quoting here. Uh, but he, he's making a very important point, which is it is the authority of the Lord. It is the glory of the Lord. It is the power of sovereign God that battles Satan, right? We don't have authority. We're just seeking the Lord's power, right? We're just seeking the Holy Spirit's power. That's what we do. And I think that's important, Jason, because you you see a lot in, I'd say, more Pentecostal circles where you have the, the, the devil binders. I don't know if you've ever encountered that. But you have these people that run around and by their own uh, uh, spiritual gifting uh, are binding Satan and, you know, doing battle uh, with Satan and these kinds of things. And I'm, I always look at that and I think, wow, that, that's awfully prideful uh, to assume that I can directly in my own power or my own might or my own strength or my own gifting do battle with the devil when even Michael, the archangel, who has a lot more power than I do, uh, won't even do that. Right? It is in the name of the Lord that Michael does battle. It is by the power of sovereign God, the one who created all things, the one who brought um, uh, time, space, and matter into existence, the one who created all the order in the universe, the one who physically holds all things together. It's that one uh, who has the power. And so our charge, our goal is to seek after the Lord, and it is he who battles with the devil. Yeah, and just to reinforce that, yeah, the 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 term archangel means chief angel. So it really is like he's he's like the captain of these the, the angelic armies, or one of the captains at least. Um so that's absolutely that that part I think is accurate, that he is the 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 most prominent angel in terms of in spiritual warfare he's he's up there now um i do think it's important to also point out 
as the devil is called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation, I think it's just good to like have this picture in your mind that before you sin, before you give in to temptation, um, the devil will do everything he can to downplay the significance of sin. Like, oh, come on, Eve, you, you want that. That will help you. This will make you better. This is a good thing. You won't die. Remember that? And after sin, the devil will be the one who most highlights your sin <laughs> and says, look at how terrible you are. Look what you've done. You've betrayed God. What an awful person you are. And what I love is in the book of Zechariah, there's this little portion where we see this played out. Uh, we read, uh, Zechariah has this vision of Joshua, the high priest at that time. And it says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. So the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments, and the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, that will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. <laughs> I just love this because I don't know how the original readers understood this picture of, of Joshua, the high priest, when they saw Zechariah's prophecy. But as Christians, in light of the, the cross and the resurrection, and, and particularly the teaching of the gospel in Paul's letters of justification by faith alone, we see that God is saying, look, here, here's Satan accusing you, but you're mine. You're mine. Those filthy garments, in other words, those, those, those sin, that sin that used to be attached to you, that sin that used to be uh, your covering, used to be your identity. I have taken that away. I've removed it. Why? Because Jesus bore our sin on the cross, and he, he fully paid for it. He paid for it so that it is no longer... A valid accusation, and and it, you know this circles around to, around to Romans eight. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is Him who died in your place. And, and then not only that, it's not just that the the filthy rags are taken away, the sin is taken away, but God puts on Joshua this clean vestments and and turban, and he's clothed in this. Now he's arrayed in this glorious clean garment and that's a picture of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us credited over to our account so that literally when the devil reaches for an accusation what we need to do is look at Joshua look at this picture of Joshua where the Lord is now rebuking Satan and basically saying your accusation doesn't stand it has no validity in this courtroom because guess what this is my own chosen person. This is, this is my chosen one. And he's wearing the garments that I gave him. So he is welcome. He is accepted here. And, and that is what Christians need to do. Obviously, 
we need to reject the devil's temptations. We need to run to Christ in those moments because we want to live pure and holy lives that are honoring to God. But when we have given into sin, when we have fallen to temptation, we need to see this picture of Joshua the high priest and recognize that his accusations do not stand when you are in Christ. And if there's if there's someone here, there's someone listening who who to this episode who has not put their trust in Christ, this is what is available to you. If you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you are granted that justified state. You are given the righteousness of Christ and you are no longer going to be accused, not by God, you're no no longer going to be condemned for that sin. You are free of condemnation in Christ. And that's that's the promise that we see in Zechariah, but we also see all through scripture, really, and, and especially in the New Testament. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together.